trying to say. Do I you don't know, know what Sigma means. Sigma male would be like Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. And what are the defining qualities of a Sigma male? Like... Ozzy Osbourne. He ate I a bat. I want to be Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> he didn't know it was a real bat, though. Yeah, that's what he keeps saying. Keeps on saying that. Some people keep believing him. Mm, do you think he actually like thought it was a bat? I don't know that it actually happened. But uh, if it happened, I would say that he knew what he was doing. From what I heard is that there were like fake bats. Somehow someone got a hold of a real bat. Mm -hmm. I don't know from where. And then it happened. But why, why, how would someone, how would you get a hold of a real bat? With your hands. Anyways, was it already dead? I don't know. I, don't, I, I feel I don't like if it was it alive, happened. it would be very, very Wrigley? distinguishable compared Furry, to warm. fake bats. I think that uh, he knew what he was doing, if it ever actually happened. Or you're just too caught up with the audience. You you pick up the bat. You don't look at the bat. Mm -hmm. Is it real? Mm -hmm. Is it not? Okay, so he yeah. thinks this, this is not a real bat. He thinks it's made out of rubber. So your instinct is to eat it? Or you're a rock star who's made a name for himself uh, that at least dabbles or alludes to the occult and you know that if you like that that's going to really amplify your your signal so you do it especially because you're probably not sober it's like a at the moment sigma male move I suppose I don't know what that means yeah I didn't think you would like, I've heard it, but I just don't get it. Like, why? I get, like, an alpha male, and I hear that and go, like, I know what you're trying to say. Do I you don't know, know what Sigma means. Sigma male would be, like, Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. And what are the defining qualities of a Sigma male? Like? Sociopath? Yes. Like, I, I, like, like, I am plotting everything in order to uh, reach my own goals and no one else knows that i'm plotting everything i'm that i'm doing oh okay kind of th yeah okay that's that's what i think the world doesn't get me yeah so what would you say that i human is like how would you define i human i define i human differently than other people will define i human i'll start by saying that I will start by saying that, and I have already said it, but I'll start by saying it again. I will say that I human to me is a large collective of artists that is based in a studio system. That studio system is multidisciplinary. The defining quality of those artists is a little bit flexible, but it revolves around the idea of people who 
are in need of uh, a leveling of the field and opportunities to level themselves up through creative and expressive opportunities. The collective has an age range that is officially stated as 12 to 24 years of age. The majority of those people are going to be uh, experiencing deficits in relationship to the mainstream. Um, they might be in need of opportunities that address their their housing or intergenerational trauma or addictions or mental health or identity. But um, the, the shortest way to say that is who it's not intended for are people who are privileged. Uh, people who enjoy significant privilege, that is not what I human is for. People are, uh, who already have the, the capacity to buy their way into creative opportunities. Uh, people who are on a pathway to post-secondary education with no worries, no sweats, what, no, no problems, no significant obstacles. That's not what iHuman is intended for. That is not the identity of our collective. However, there are other lenses to look at iHuman through, but that is the one that I primarily use. Um, I could speak to other lenses that people employ when they talk about the caring services that we provide or the family services or uh, more of the outreach supports or the street supports that we provide. But from my lens, as the artistic director, I speak of uh, all of our members as being artists. I don't speak of them as being clients. I don't speak of them as being um, youth. Uh, I refer to them as artists. And that's key to me in terms of the way that I explore and explain iHuman Studios. So continuing on with that question, as the artistic director, what would you say your role is at my, iHuman? My role is to take care of the back-end administration of the studio system to make sure that the people that are working in the studios don't have to deal with the more tedious questions of grant writing and reporting and budgeting and financial transactions and those basically I'm to make sure that the administration side of the studio operations is taken care of so that the other people whether it's studio staff or whether it's the studio artists can focus on their artistry and their creativity and their their acts of expression um, so it's my job to make sure that we have uh, filters for the respirators and so that no one else has to worry about that Mm -hmm. um, so that the respirators exist and are functional. It's my job to make sure that um, all the activities that we have engaged in have been documented, especially in support of grant applications. That's generally what I think my job is within the, the building. Also, my job is to facilitate opportunities for our artists to participate in mainstream theater activities, or sorry, mainstream festival activities, mainstream, um, to, to find opportunities for the studio artists to express themselves outside of the studios, to negotiate uh, contracts, whether it's uh, murals, whether it's performances at festivals, whether it's uh, selling individual pieces of art uh, 
in those instances, that is the only time that I will ever ever refer to the artists of the collective as being clients, only because I'm acting as their agent. Um, and it's appropriate for me to to use that language because I'm representing them in business transactions. So then what has been your favorite part about working at iHuman so far? My favorite part of working at iHuman are those moments when I'm having one-to-one interactions with the artists. The Whether that's in the moment trying to introducing them as they're about to go on stage introducing them to a to a uh, to a programmer or whether that's me working one-on-one with someone talking about their art and their form and the options that are available to them and to uh, to bring some of my expertise and experience to their creative problems those are my favorite moments uh, the one-to-ones are my favorites. Mm-hmm. And then what are some of the challenges that you've faced working here? There's lots of challenges and I'm not sure that I'm comfortable talking about <laughs> all of them. Uh, but there are, there are, well, there, here's two major challenges. And, and my ways of, my, my ways through the solving those problems or coming up to with some type of resolution to those problems. One is that I'm coming, before I came here, I was coming from a mainstream theater and festival practice in which a lot of the work that I was doing with young artists was about providing stepping stones for them to go from being pre-professional to professional, to take their work that was nascent and... Uh, and, and guiding it through a maturation process so that it was ready for audiences to consume it, to guide artists through their own personal individual journeys towards, towards professional practice. And all of that was based on the idea that art is a consumable commodity and that something isn't art unless it is consumed by someone other than the artist. If the artist creates a poem and never shows it to anyone else, that's not art. If someone shuffles their feet around to some music, but no one ever sees it, that's not art. Uh, That was my answer to if a tree falls in the forest. It's like, no, if it's not consumed by another person, it's not art. Coming to iHuman, I have changed my definition of what art is and changed my practice in that way to say that art isn't about consumption, art is about expression. So if I write something and I don't show it to anyone else and I crumple it up, throw it away, burn it, and forget it, it's still an artistic act. It is still art. Um, so that's, that's one of the challenges that I came across. And it kind of relates to another major challenge, which was about what my expectations about professional practice are and what professionalism is. Um, I've had the privilege of being um, inducted into uh, professional practice with expectations and that are backed up with professional representation and uh, and everything gets hammered home when you don't do something right the other professionals out there are letting you know that you didn't do things right like for instance showing up 
on time for a rehearsal or for a show. Uh, the idea that you don't, that you're not punctual, especially in collective artist practices like being in a band or being in rehearsing a theater or a dance show, uh, those are not easily forgivable tra transgressions. Uh, but then when I come to work with the artists at iHuman, there's a different, well, th those expectations have not been hammered home. So I've had that one moment uh, many years ago when I had set up a show for an artist the way that they wanted it to be done and the show was supposed to start at 5 o'clock and they didn't show up till 5.05. Um, and they didn't seem to see a problem with that. And I was like in my head just confused and furious because that would have been my reaction six, seven years ago if I was working in some other situation and someone just like, wanders in five minutes after the show starts. <laughs> um, yeah. So th those types of expectations are just like, okay, knowing that I have to be much more flexible in the way that I build shows. Because also, to be fair, I'm not, I don't have the resources to pay people for their rehearsal time. Um, so if someone doesn't show up for a rehearsal in some show that I'm doing outside of here and I'm paying that person, then I have a leg to stand on when it comes to like my anger. But if I'm just here to be helping someone do the show that they want to do and they don't show up at five o'clock, well, that's the, that's, they're the ones calling the shots. Yeah. Um, so simmer down, <laughs> stop being so, uh, <laughs> but also recognize like, that that's a reality uh, with a lot of the people that I might be building a show with. There's more important things going on in their life. So if we're supposed to be doing a show at X time at X place and they don't show up because there are more important things going on in their life and I don't recognize that, then that's on me. Like mm -hmm. I, I should know by now that these types of events are going to happen more frequently than I would expect them to. So a way that I've reacted to that challenge is to know that when I'm building a show, to have lots of options in case something doesn't go as planned because I don't know if I've ever done a show with iHuman where things have gone as planned. Um, except for the part that part of the plan is to have these fail safes that mm -hmm. X person may not show up. So what am I going to do? Um, and to have a plan before that happens. And that, that's something we've done before. Like when we did a friend show, uh, 2019, I think we did a friend show. Um, I, feel like if I had built the show in such a way that it was scripted and people had to learn their lines and everyone had to come in at certain entrances and cues were built on the idea of having a repeatable show that repeated almost as much as possible. Like Monday show was as much as like Tuesday show as possible. If I had set that up as the, the, the modus operandi, then I would have been destroyed. 
because uh, mm-hmm. as it turns out, we never had the same cast for two shows. We never had an entire cast together until we saw an audience for the first time. And it worked. Uh, but I believe it only worked because I had learned enough lessons to go like, okay, this is how you build a show with this particular collective. This other way that you used to do things, that ain't going to work. So don't, don't yeah. even try it. Um, know that, yeah, know that for whatever reason, whether it's something's more important to another person or they, or they just can't get there. Um, that it's, it travel restrictions are just too intense. It takes them, if they miss one bus, they're mm-hmm. not going to make it. Um, I can't remember what the question was. Um, what are some challenges that you faced? Yeah, That's those are question. some of the challenges. <laughs> And then, you know, and there's other smaller challenges, day-to-day type of challenges. But it's not so much a challenge as much as, a, as it's an excitement, mm-hmm. which has diminished over the pandemic. But before the pandemic, I was very fond of noting and repeating and saying that I could never predict how a day at iHuman was going to go. Uh, sometimes I think I know what I'm going to do with a day, and I'm never right something something would always happen mm-hmm. and sometimes they would be like pleasant surprises and sometimes they would be awful surprises like oh i didn't, wasn't expecting i was going to have to get yelled at by a cop today but that happened um but and then sometimes it's like i didn't know that that person could sing but wow can they sing mm-hmm. so yeah yeah uh and then what was your favorite show or event that iHuman has put on that you've been involved with? The most significant one would have been like 2005, before I was an employee here, when I was in my previous life and I was brought in to work on two theater projects by iHuman brought me in as a facilitator to create and stage two original musicals. And we worked on those for months uh, and we created them from scratch and everything that was in the show was created by the artists. Uh, It was not written by one person, it was collectively written. Um, Made use of the studios to create like really cool tracks and really cool design work for the the stage but the biggest uh, thing about that show was that I'm still in connection with a lot of those artists um, who have since uh, well they got older 15 years older <laughs> if it was 15 years ago and uh, so I've seen the way that those artists have grown up because I would have met them when they were teenagers and now they are in their 30s um, so that that shows maybe had the biggest impact on me and it certainly led to my desire to work at iHuman and work within iHuman rather than being a hired gun uh, yep that <laughs> one but like in the time that I've been working here as as a staff person, I think when we went to Interstellar Rodeo 
and did a pop-up studio there. That was my, my favorite experience. We were outside, we were in Horlack Park, the weather was great. Uh, we had a variety of different types of activities going on that were all about public engagement. We had a lot of our artists involved in facilitating those activities. And, uh, and, and it was Interstellar Rodeo, which is a great music festival just to be hanging out at. So. Yeah, yeah. So we had some of our artists on the main stage. We had some of our artists on a secondary stage that we created. We, a lot of people went home with things that they had created because iHuman had helped them make stuff. So yeah, that Interstellar Rodeo. That's awesome. So then what's a project that you'd like to work on for the future? One is a thing that we're not already doing that I'd like to work on. Uh, I'd like to record a vinyl album. Uh, an iHuman Studios vinyl album. The idea of, like we're already releasing albums, but it's purely digital. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of doing CDs or flash drives, the, because because no one buys physical media for their music anymore. I mean, obviously there are exceptions, but everyone's using digital stores for their music and streaming. So the idea of selling something is odd. Selling a physical thing is odd. Mm -hmm. But the idea of that thing being a piece of vinyl, I just really want to do that. Not just because, not because, why? Because an album means something to me. And my generation, this thing's bouncing around a lot. An album means something to me and my generation. So I have a personal like response to that. But also uh, the opportunity to put other things into the album, to be able to slide stickers in an original artwork and to create more than just a vehicle for listening to music. And the idea of doing an album cover art is something that I think was lost with CDs because they were so small that you lost the opportunity to have like an open cover and you find other artwork inside of it yeah. and um, or to have the continuation of the artwork on the front and the back cover to be able to slide stickers in there to be able to slide original artwork or whatever there's there's a, a vinyl album is a canvas onto itself regardless of the music that's carved into it Mm -hmm. and then so what events do you have coming up in the future right now the big event that's coming up is the fringe show the yeg youth poetry jam we have an event this this saturday uh another pop-up event uh, as a partnership with the downtown business association called al fresco um these types of studio pop-ups or iHuman takeovers is what I like to call them. I really enjoy doing those, going into other spaces with iHuman artists and iHuman art and engaging the public directly. 
and particularly in ways that allow them to walk away from the experience with something, whether it's a patch or a sticker or a empty spray paint can that they've redesigned and redecorated and repurposed or earrings or whatever, that they aren't just buying something from us, they are working with us and making something themselves. Because, this isn't answering your question, I'll get back to the question, but this is also a really important thing about how I've repunctuated myself in terms of what art means and what my practice is, is that I'm also coming from a place where an artistic experience uh, involved artists and consumers of the art and the vast majority of the people in those transactions were the consumers. The artists were the minority and they were the, the elite. Where I'm shifting my definitions and practice now is that all people are artists. If you can express yourself, you're an artist. So the idea of having these pop-up studios occur, these takeovers occur, where the people that we are interacting with the general public we're not considering ourselves to be the elite. We're being not elitist and saying, no, we're all artists here. You're not coming here to appreciate what we do. You're coming here to learn how, what we do and to do what we do and to empower people with the, the title of artist. We all should feel like we can say that about ourselves. Mm -hmm. I'm an artist. Yeah. And everyone can say that. Um, so that was a detour from the question of what, what else do we have coming up. Um, uh, there's some intentions to, to paint some things outside. We, um, we want to be painting. A, last year we painted a series of rabbits on our neighbor's building. Uh, and we want to finish that job by painting a bunch of chickadees. Um, there are other parts of the building I'd like to see get painted. Uh, I feel like I'm missing some other events, but because I wasn't prepared for the question, I'm just sort of hemming <laughs> and hawing right now. What am I? I'm missing something? Am I missing something? I must be missing something. Um, uh, we, we were finishing up the, the mural that we did for McLab Developments. That's 130 foot long, four feet times three, yeah, 125 feet long mural. Uh, we'll be finishing that up this week. Um, we have a show next door at our neighbor's place, uh, Collab. That's a Matt Cardinal exhibit that's happening right now. Um, I think that's that's the short term. That's the short term. Cool. So then what is your history as an artist, and what sort of stuff do you do? I... Grew up mostly being a jock. I was always on some team, sports team, that usually involved hitting another person <laughs> with a stick or with my shoulders. And, but at the, also at the same time, I was learning music and taking, because I, I grew up quite privileged, uh, private piano lessons. Um, I also. I played some other instruments like trumpet and stuff like that, but mostly I grew up learning conservatory piano and never really considered myself to be an artist. It was just something that I was supposed to do and was required to do and 
enjoyed some of it. Mostly I didn't enjoy it though until I learned how to improvise. And then when I started learning from a top 40 band keyboard type of guy how to uh, play without reading music, to just sit down and play, that's when I started to actually enjoy playing the piano. But it wasn't ever something I had considered anything I would do other than just like to keep myself occupied. I didn't ever want to perform for anyone else. Flirted with the idea of being in a band uh, when I was in high school, but that never went anywhere. And then I went into university and I popped around different faculties. I was in the faculty of engineering. I was in a pre-med stream for a little while. I was going to be an English major. And then I had to take a fine arts option. So I got to take a drama class for the first time when I was 20. And I loved it. And mostly because I didn't know anything about it. So I was learning a ton of things. Like I knew what Shakespeare was and I knew what I knew who Arthur Miller was, but I didn't know anything else about theater. Uh, and that was kind of where I got started in my adult practice as an artist was um, diving into theater because everything else at university didn't interest me and I found it depressingly boring. Uh, but theater was a place where I was learning a ton, and so I specialized in theater. I got a BA in drama, which provided me with a, an opportunity to have a broad canvas of rudimentary skills in lots of different theater practice, in playwriting, in stagecraft, and designing, and acting, directing, um, theater history, just a little bit of everything. And then I took a... Uh, I got a little bit more specific and, and entered the BFA acting program at the university. And then I came out of that program knowing that I also wanted to focus on more collective, performer-based, image-based theater practices. So I went to Winnipeg and trained with a the company there for a year. And then I came back to Edmonton and just did the grind of being a local, independent, unpaid uh, theater worker, uh, producing my own stuff, working with other people who are producing their own stuff, um, learning how to produce, learning how to create in dirty stages and dirty theaters, um, and then after paying my dues, other opportunities started to pop up. Uh, I had a brief window where I was pretty popular actor at the Citadel Theater. At the same time, I also started to flex my muscles in terms of getting administration work uh, and being involved, taking the producing side of things and going a little bit more uh, leaning into those things that I didn't like as much as I liked acting, but still there were things that needed to be done and I was willing to do them. Uh, I joined some boards. I learned a little bit more about administration from those opportunities and um, then started to really get more established in terms of my practice and uh, of being an uh, of being a multi uh, a multifaceted theater artist that I was I could direct, I could write, I can act, 
um, and I can combine all of those things in a, a unique way. And at the same time, was finding myself working at NextFest, which was a multidisciplinary festival for young artists, where I learned a lot about how to be a jack of all trades. I learned, I knew a little bit about a lot of things. What do visual artists need, as a as distinct from what dance artists need. So I've been informed by a lot of different practices, but theater is mostly my thing. These days, I don't have the time to invest in theater productions, so I focus on spoken word uh, open mics as an opportunity to keep practicing my writing skills and my performance skills. So what is your favorite theater production and why? My favorite theater production of all time was a production of 448 Psychosis by Sarah Kane that was presented by the Hypocrites in Chicago. I was having a terrible time in Chicago. I've been so looking forward to going to Chicago. And then I got there and then I just was disappointed by so many things, including all the <laughs> theater productions I saw. And then I saw a production of 448 Psychosis, which was a, an emerging company showcased by Steppenwolf Theater. They brought this company in. They did this play in a way that I almost lost my mind. Uh, I was actually worried about my sanity while I was watching it because I jumped on board with everything that they were doing. Um, and I was enjoying it so much that I thought maybe I was in the wrong place because no one else was. But then at one point in the show, just as I was going like, maybe this isn't as funny as I think it is because I'm laughing my ass off and no one else is. And then at one point, the actors in the scene were talking about, it was a conversation between a psychiatrist and a pa uh, patient. And the, the patient says to the psychiatrist, well, I think one of the problems is that no one understands my gallows sense of humor. And then the actor looked right at me and winked. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm on the right path. Uh, I should be laughing at this stuff. Um, but the yeah, it was uh, without getting into all the details of it, because I could talk for a long time about it. But 448 Psychosis by Sarah Kane, produced by the Hypocrites as an emerging company showcase at Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago in about 2007, I want to say, it was my favorite production of all time, largely because it was dominated by imaginative acts of transformation by the performers. Uh, there were no multimedia tricks. There was very little design uh, elements going on there. It was actors creating things with their bodies and voices in front of me. And then what would you say is your biggest accomplishment as an artist or performer? The, the work that I'm most proud of is a play that I wrote and at, performed in called Free Men on the Land. Um, and I'm very proud of that work. I'm proud of the way I wrote it on a macro level and on a micro level. I'm proud of the way that I collaborated with musicians on that show. I'm proud of the research that I did. I'm proud of the story that I selected and the way that I told the story. Um, that's, I think, in terms of like my theater work, the thing that I'm most proud of. But I think the thing I would say is like my crowning achievement, if that's the question, I haven't done it yet. It's still yet to come.
And then what is one piece of advice that you would give to aspiring artists or performers? Don't be an asshole. <laughs> Doesn't matter how talented you are. Uh, you have to be so intensely, insanely talented in order to get away with being an asshole. There's always going to be someone else that you can work with. Um, so if I have the option between a guy who's really good and uh, another artist who's not as good, but the, the artist that's really good is an asshole, uh, I'm going to go with the one that's not an asshole. So, that's yeah, fair. Don't be an asshole. So then... Who is your favorite celebrity and why? <laughs> My favorite celebrity would be... I don't know. I don't like celebrity. I don't... I think that celebrity is the most overrated commodity that exists. Being famous is stupid. I don't want to be famous and I don't... But to celebrate someone, uh, the person that I would celebrate the most in terms of like being an artist... The person I would most like to have met and learned from and listened to is Dario Fo. Uh, is that a celebrity? I don't know. They won a Nobel Prize. But um, the theater artist from Italy, very political, very imaginative, very smart, very well-informed, um, but also... I've been following the career of Helena Bonham Carter for a long time. So <laughs> let's say Helena Bonham Carter. That's a good choice. So then <laughs> what's your best celebrity impression or Helena Bonham Carter impression? <laughs> I don't know that I, I've never been an impressionist. Uh, I used to do a Christopher Walken, but like everyone did. Um, okay. All right. Okay, maybe this is my best one. Uh, Ooh, yeah. Randy Macho Man Savage coming to hit you on Sunday evening. Yeah. <laughs> Started off pretty good. Um, I used to, I used to, I used to be able to do a pretty good uh, Robert Plant, but I was younger hmm. then. My vocal cords weren't as fried. Uh, yep. And Tom Waits. I used to do a pretty good Tom Waits. But I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> I used to do a good Worf, too. Worf? Yeah. What is Worf? From Star Trek Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. You've heard of Star Trek? I have. I haven't seen it. My family was killed at Kittimer. It's a Kittimer disaster. Something Kittimer. <laughs> I'm talking about how his family died. Kittimer. Cool. I think that's all the questions I have. Do you have anything else that you want to mention to the audience? Mm, probably, but I won't. Uh, I did actually, something else did occur to me as something that I wanted to do with iHuman was to create a radio show to create episodes to create something for radio whether it's like doing an hour-long radio show that's live or having like, like 15 minute spotlights on artists here that we could ship out and say like okay we don't have a radio station but hey ckua or cgsr or campus stations across the country or cbc or like 
to create in studio these bits and then ship them out to people to say like, hey, here's yeah. a spotlight, a little bit of an interview and some some songs by some of our artists. So that's another thing I like to accomplish. That'd be super cool. Yeah. Well, that's everything. Thank you so much for joining me today. And yeah, so uh, if you guys want to check out iHuman, they've got a bunch of projects going on and including the Fringe Festival that is coming up in August. Uh, and iHuman is looking for poets, uh, young poets to uh, come and perform at the show. So if you're interested in that, uh, check it out and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.